0: I'd now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lillian. Hi, I'm Lillian. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello. This room got so full. It was so empty like three minutes ago. <laughs> um, okay, so basically experience, strength, and hope. I've been here actually from when I very, very, very first came, maybe 35 years ago. And it's hard to believe I was actually a grown-up then, but I did. And I went to some meetings, and I got very involved. And it was very exciting because I had come from New York. I had always been what you call like a chubby kid, you know, and a Jewish household. My parents were older when I was born, and they had had a couple of miscarriages stillborn. I was God's gift. I mean, there was no question about it. When I arrived, I was it, you know. And the world revolves around me, and I grew up as an only child. So, of course, I thought that's just the way it should be, you know. And I really didn't know until my 20s. I didn't know from selfishness. I had no concept of that, you know. Um... Because I thought that's how it should be. And, I mean, there's like a Jewish household, and, you know, food is what we revolves around. And, and at one point, I was 10, I had very bad pains, like back pains. And the school nurse said, so my mother and it said, you know, I was overweight. I was maybe, I don't know, 150 pounds or something. I was 11, I guess. And, and she said gave me a diet very nice simple diet you know proteins were very healthy and all and my mother said oh wonderful thank you because I mean they weren't deliberately making an effort to make me fat it wasn't like abuse it was just that's how they ate and they didn't know and and they were both kind of heavy but not you know they lived they didn't expect it they had no other expectations so they just that's what it was and just fine okay well we'll follow this wonderful thank you we'll find except when you are out it doesn't count you know if I cook it it's with love it doesn't count <laughs> I all of and I loved it because that meant been like a keeping even crap you know I was having it they used to have these automats in New York you know what they did Things and our, we'd go sometimes like for dinner and a nice well balanced meals with spaghetti, mashed potatoes, and green peas. Now, I didn't think from carbs and protein or that seemed very well balanced. Later years, you realize, you know, maybe it wasn't the best balance, but um, anyway, so I survived that. I grew up and you know, I had a lot of friends in my early teens who were thin mostly. And at one point, the rage was turquoise petal pushers like a freeze skin tight and you got to wear it because that's the look you know and, and believe me you want to feel like a sausage that's what I felt like shoved into these pants and all that um, but anyway and I survived that and I went to a sort of doctors and I would start you know the Cosmo diet of the month and I'd stay on it for a while and then I'd be very good until there was temptation and then it would be oh we have to taste this Do you have to have a bite of that and I'd say well okay and that was the end of that excuse me at any rate, I went at one point to a therapist. There was a program that Columbia University had. <coughs> they sent you to a private psychiatrist. Very nice. We talked like an hour every week. The weight didn't change. It was the same exact thing. I'd go on the diet. I'd go off the diet. But we had great conversations. And I'm sure it helped me a lot with something, you know. Um, anyway, so I came out here because I was here busy. much fell in love with it, so I have to move here. And it worked out, and I got a job here. And was at a party and met somebody from O.A., and started this and what happened is the first meeting I went to what amazed me there were people in like all shapes and sizes fat skinny and you'd listen to the stories and all that and, and people would say things that I never heard other human beings say like things that I could relate to how they ate throw things in the garbage, Wait, in the, the basket in your house, or in the garbage. You know, because the wastebasket in your house means nothing. Say that you put it in a drawer. I mean, just a lot of things. Or they would say, Have you ever had Sara Lee defrosted? That was like a trick question, you know. Like, if you have, maybe you don't really belong. <laughs> and just so many things that I had done. Except before I got here, I never had any concept of binging. Why? If you're going to be eating the same tomorrow as today, what's the point of shoving it in? You're just eating whatever you want. You want it. Okay, so I started standing, thank God, and I would go for weeks or months, never quite a year, for a while. And at one point we used to have this diet, we used to do diets before we realized we're not doctors, you know? And one was a gray sheet, which was very restricted and little amounts and weighing and measuring. The other was moderation. Of course, I chose moderation because it gave you a lot of room. And I went out with some old friends, you know, we're eating, and they said, What are you eating? I said it's my moderate dinner. He says moderate? You're a four hundred pound truck driver. What's wrong? Are you crazy? You know? I mean, look at all that food. Okay, so then I had to go to Grace Sheet. I mean, I'd do nothing willingly, you know? But, because I was seeing results very slowly, and it wasn't my body. I mean, I started doing really moderation and interest in water and all the healthy good stuff, and started pouring off. I mean, I had no excuse. I went through the hypothyroidism, I went through the hypoglycemia, you know, all this, the different moments, they were with the rage. And I know some people really have them, so I don't mock them, but myself, and others of my youth were having them, because it was an easy way, if you had some feel oh my God, it's my thyroid, fix me, you know, right? oh my God, it's not me, it's my blood, so my blood sugar was low or high, one time I was on thyroid medication for maybe eight years or so, and when I was in Italy for a while and I got pregnant, and stopped taking it, I felt absolutely no difference whatsoever, and which was the first time I thought maybe I didn't really need it, you know, I mean, I didn't get hyper, I didn't get lower, I didn't, nothing. At any anyway, rate, so, um, I was here and at one point I got down to it was like 129 pounds, I was very excited and I ran with a camera with friends, went up to the room, we took pictures. <laughs> I don't know how I knew I wasn't staying there, but I wanted documentation, <laughs> pictures in a bathing suit and, and fitted clothes and poses and all of that, you know, um, which was good that I did that. And so a while later, I went out of town. I was in Nashville for like six months and fab, such a fabulous time I gained 50 pounds. I mean, I just couldn't stand having so much fun and everything was much too wonderful. So I um, came back. And, and then I saw some friends, and I said, I can't go back to you. I'm going to have to lose some weight before I go back to a meeting. Sorry, that cost me maybe another 10 pounds. Okay. I mean, I'm just telling you all these things. If everything's boosted, some people don't relapse. Some people come in, they're ready, they're at that place, they've been through enough, they get it. I didn't get it that fast. So, well, obviously, if I got here that long ago, I've been abstaining that 14 and a half years, which I'm thrilled about. Um, but it was not an easy journey to get there. I came back, and I finally went back to a meeting, and said, "You know, like here I am." I mean, that like people were lovely and wonderful and loving and, and understood, because many of us have been through that self hate and loathing and all. Um, so, I started staying again, and then I just went away. I was out of town, I was out of the country for a couple of years, and then I was just out of the program for, like, 15 years. I took a long hiatus, I did research, I gained some weight, and I lost some weight. I was pregnant, and then when I was not pregnant, 225 pounds, I got really concerned, you know. Um, so, it was about 15 years, and I was gone. I said, no, it was my kids. And in those days, there weren't meetings where you brought kids or anything, and I, I thought I would die if I brought a child and they did a peep, you know, I would be crazy. So... At any rate. So I didn't. And I went to, I think, Jenny Craig during that time. Pregnant women urine, you know, the shots. That was really great. You still got a lot of weight. And first day back of food, six pounds came back. Because it was like Christmas holidays. Just not the best timing. Um, and then it was not too fast. You lose weight. It was fabulous. You do the pound stuff three times a day. No decisions. No food. Thirty, oh, wait a minute, it's about 50 pounds came off over several months. And it took a long time to come back, I have to say. I mean, it stayed off for a while. But, you know, we're always thinking the quick fix. And even now I read these ads and diets and then what's wrong with that? It'll jumpstart you. It'll get you going. And, I mean, I can't tell anyone else what they should do. But the problem for me was they do all of that. And it's like when you're on something, the whole concept of being on the diet is you're going to be off it. You know, which you are. So that's why it didn't really help me. It's sort of the setback. And I came back. It was July 3rd in 92 because I was getting divorced and my kids were grown up and I was living in the valley and I said I can leave the valley I have no excuse not to go to meetings and not to work the program for real because it is not something you can dabble in and I couldn't kind of be a dilettante you know go by once in a while when I felt like it it's just you have to be living it for me anyway or not and I um, I had a dinner with a friend that night who was a really good friend turns I my him and said What's down with you? you really look like shit. Look at your head. You got so fat. What happened? <laughs> so to this day, this is my Eskimo. <laughs> and we haven't spoken in a while, but we still are good friends. And I went home, and I, that was what did it. And I, the next day, I was at a meeting. And I got a sponsor, like the toughest lady in the room, who I thought would never be available, and she was and um, it was July 3rd, and I was to the Hollywood Bowl with all the food sharing, you know, with the boxes, and, and, and I had my carrot sticks and my celery sticks and my chicken breasts, and all my perfect food. And that was the test, because usually if there's no temptation. I'm fine. I said, God, please get me through this night. I can get through anything. And sure enough, it was... You know, because you're at that desperation. You're filled with hate and self-loathing, and you'll do anything. So, uh, I got through it. And then... The abstaining and the calling the food in every day and the weighing and measuring. Because at that point there was no question. I knew I needed that total discipline and immersion in the program to really, really work it. At least you know for those first couple of weeks, before you start feeling the euphoria of having lost some weight, and before you know, the being afraid, like, oh my God, I'm another person now. How are you going to deal with it? And you start meeting new people, working with new people who don't know anything about you that you've just met when you get thin. And it's like a whole adjustment and attitude and all of that. That's where the 12 steps come in and the tools of the program because the one thing I knew it and I couldn't do it by myself. I can't take the food out of my life and just leave a hole and not fill it with something. And the something was the meetings and the phone calls and there was always somewhere to turn or something to take care of that longing for food. Because I knew... I didn't want to buy you this or a taste of that or a little moderate amount. Because I've been reading some diets and say, well, I give myself one day a week to have whatever I want. Like, I go, well, good for you. I can't do that. Because, you know, I'm gone. Abstinence is day to day to day. And it gets easier. And your stomach adjusts. Because at first I thought, there's no way. If anyone said I was going to go 14 years without chocolate, i said, oh, come on, bullshit. That's the whole concept of one day at a time. Because you can't think about it being forever. Because I wouldn't even have started but, alright, I'll do it today. And then you call a sponsor and he says, okay, well, just don't do it today. Tomorrow you have whatever you want. Just this day. This one day. Alright, one day. And so, and anyway, so I lost 65 to 75 pounds, depending on where I am at the moment, and I stayed off. The absence is like three meals a day, nothing in between. Sometimes I have a snack, either. If I have, like, from one in the afternoon to ten at night, I something in between. We just really, because my sponsor and I went to a nutritionist for a while, started doing power bars and all sometimes, reading the ingredients very carefully. Because I look at these power bars and I say, how can all these people have things covered in chocolate? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I know people in the program who lost their weight, they can handle it just fine. So I just know for me, I can't. And I don't need to do any more research. Because they did enough research. And people will say, oh, but they made this new product. They made this and it looks like it and it tastes like it. It's got no calories and no carbs and no nothing. You know, if it looks like it and it tastes like it and it feels like it, I don't know what portion of my disease is chemical. Or emotional, or spiritual, or physical—I don't know. And frankly, right now, I don't need to find out. I just—it's not worth it. And when you go and plan, you know, I've been to kids' birthday parties and my own birthday parties and all of these events. And so any other event that I might be at, I say, oh, but you're a special occasion. And they say, no, say, oh, but come on, I mean, it's so good, it's so special. I said, it's okay, because I realize that if people have a problem with it, it's their problem. It's not my problem. Why are you so worried if I take that or not? Will that change your life? Why is that such a big deal, you know? Because after a while, the way it starts coming off, you start feeling like a full human being. Like you're not apologizing for your existence, or... I don't mean to say you, I mean me. I'm not apologizing for my existence. they are feeling less than, or not worth anything, or they must be right because they're thin. Because I know something, oh, well, they're thin, so that means everything they say is correct, you learn a lot of things afterwards. And again, I have to say, I don't know half of what's going on in their bodies, in their lives, in their heads, you know. I mean, it isn't that I wish them ill, but you just can't assume that because they're thin, everything is perfect, because they're thin. And, I mean, I like eating. I mean, I do like food. It's not as much fun anymore, because all the most fun food I don't eat, which is fine. It makes it a lot easier. So, what I want to say, I'm not sort of my usual self, but I know I'll never make a whole long time to speak. I had this tooth full two days ago, and the other thing that's very relevant to the program in your life, aside from the food, because to me there is nothing more important than abstinence, abstaining from compulsive overeating. And if you're having a problem, a relapsing, and doing whatever tools or whatever steps you can to get back on it. Because to me, that's why I was here. I don't want to be fat anymore, you know. Um, so the other areas that helps in so many, and, and I'm sitting in the movies a few weeks ago, and all of a sudden my like, tooth cracks off. Right there. Two days later, I'm having this big party for my daughter. She's engaged with so tons of people. Like, oh my God. Do so I get as hysterical as before the program? No. So, where we find the piece? I go to the drugstore to get cement thing and lose the piece. Now I call the dentist, it's over Christmas break, she's out on vacation, but she calls in. And so she meets you in the office and does a temporary crown thing. So, oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, so grateful. Which means I have to eat slower and more carefully. I'm a very fast eater. It's a terrible habit, <laughs> which I thought was because of my work. Sometimes you're in a big hurry and you only have 10, 15 minutes. But I see my mother, who is 99, I've seen her eat something. And I said, oh, my God. It's not work. It's not, it's genetic. Uh. She does this, she'll shovel food in with antsy. Slow down. Slow down. You're going to choke. Stop. <laughs> Only food uh. she loves. Other foods, it's... N- n- uh. But I see like They give strawberry cake. With strawberry- <laughs> I can't believe it. They'll never go away. 99. Does it never <laughs> go away? <laughs> never. <laughs> so, now, um, what happens is that... I totally lost my train of thought. See, okay, so what happens is a few days ago, it's really hurting. My mouth is hurting. and I woke up 3 in the morning. It's like, this is it. i got to go to the dentist. Of course, She comes in at like 8.30 in the morning, 3 hours. This is a Thursday. We said the root canal may be cracked. It's up by the sinuses, so they were afraid it's going to go in there. Now it's life-threatening. It's going to really dramatic. your <laughs> And so they're giving me the Novocaine. It's not taking in two Advil and two Tylenol all at once. The, and finally, the nitrous. I mean, it's just I'm still feeling it. So they finally did it. They went in there, and they looked, and they pulled the tooth and all of that. It was really swollen. It's still a little bit swollen. I the you this morning, I "I don't know if I can talk at all, but it's going down enough. I'd love to be drama queen, but it's not that bad. You know, it's like the skin is irritated, and that goes on for a few days. But the great thing is I can't eat dairy. I can't mean, cheese. is one of the mainstays of my food. Because of the antibiotics, it wouldn't be good for them for like five days. You know, you can do anything if you have to. It's like it's all here. If the head is in the right place, like, oh, how am I going to do that? Well, I thought for a minute i call my sponsor, so you can't have milk, so you get soy milk, you can't eat this, you start thinking of food in terms of hard and soft, you know, because got pudding it was one of my faves for years. <laughs> and I don't care how calorie-free, sugar-free, everything else it is now, I'm not doing it. But jello, sugar-free jello, it's like my favorite thing. And, and fruit grounds up, because I have these protein shakes still from one of the protein things that I did. But, you know, you buy a thing that big, So now it's perfect. It's got no sugar. It goes in with water, with real fruit and that. And you have something to eat that's that's soft. So, so many things of the pro, because before it could be such a license to just jam in the ice cream, you know. I mean, it's just, well, soft. I need something soft. (laughs) Um, But you just learn all the things that are total bullshit. You know, so if nothing else, you might decide to do it, but you're not bullshitting yourself that you need it or you have to or it's good for you. You do it because you want to. And you say, oh, fuck that, I don't care. I mean, and I just, nothing is worth that anymore. I mean, one time I made a mistake. I had I buy the power bar, and I was driving along, and it's dark in the media, and it's chocolate. I said, what is that? So I, when I pulled over, and I finished that one, and I looked, called my sponsor, I said, I didn't realize. I never buy it like that, but somebody else, I bought it, whatever. She said, fine, it's done. I wrote about it, I told her. I said, it wasn't delivered, I didn't know. You know? She said, okay. This time, you know, but you got to be careful. So now I stand there and I read. There's a greenish, because something that's like buried inside. And, so, and it's just for mine. I don't know what anyone else's abstinence is. It may be fine. But it's not for me. So it's a lot of reading. And it's very small print. And I decided, if it's just small for me to read, it, I'm just not getting it. Really cool. There were 4,000 kinds of power bars, you know? Um... So anyway, so it, right now, th- that's not what I mean, but um, the spiritual side of my program is probably what I talk about the least because I turn things over to God, I read every morning, just a couple of pages, you know, from the Hazelden book and one of the OA books, and some prayers, and unfortunately I don't turn it over to God on a regular basis, which would really make my life easy, but it's like I can't do that. So it's when I have a problem or a dilemma or I can't reach a decision about something, I'm gonna call my sponsor, and it doesn't matter if people are not in your life, they don't know your business, they don't know whatever. It's irrelevant. There are situations in human beings that you get, and I'm just gonna show. I, I know it's gonna be write it out, write about it, go back, talk about it, and uh, I do. And, and it's amazing how things come clear and how solutions to problems come that I know I didn't think of it, that I never would have thought of it in my life. So I've got to say that's God. My favorite saying that I heard, not at a meeting, somewhere else, is that coincidence is a God's way of remaining anonymous. I love that, you know? I mean, think how often things happen. You say, I can't believe what happened. You, you know, just when I was worrying about this, so-and-so came along. I and mean, there is no explanation, you know? Which makes you feel very comforted. The whole concept of a higher power I had no problem with because my family was raised Jewish in the sense of what are the neighbors saying you go on the high holidays there was no nothing inside there was no spiritual help from God or turning things over or or just in any way practicing the religion really and so that's when I grew up that 's what I thought it is it's the rituals you dress on this day the biggest sin in the neighborhood is one of my friends ran around on Yomkin floor in jeans. Oh, was this Sashanta? Oh, the emotional, you know? I mean that was that neighborhood at that time, you know? I mean there are certain sins that you don't know, commit. So our whole fight was in terms of Judaism is are marrying a Jewish boy. She got lucky, I happened to marry like an Israeli, Egyptian, Italian, but it's not I me mean, it's only luck. It's because of anything I cared about. But if somebody forces things on you, of course you're gonna resist it and you're gonna hate it. Which was what I did. Um, my mother finally one time went to Weight Watchers for a while and she learned that you can have one piece of toast that you don't have to have two you can just have one it's excellent you know um, that's the sport that stayed with her and I said fine okay <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, for a long time when I, I didn't realize you could toast one piece at a time I thought you had to put in two pieces <laughs> I, I learned truly I mean I learned a lot when I, when I got out of the Bronx because it's a limited limited relationship um, at any rate so the program has helped me in so many areas of my life just in dealing with these like right now I have a daughter thank God getting married at the end of April and she lives in Rome and I was thrilled when this came about and then I realized now for eight months I talked to my ex-husband so that was the dark side and as I said before sometimes your family and friends don't realize how lucky they are that you have a program you know whether they know you do or not because we went through the as I expected and I said such a good friend who know him and all and we said, All right, let's wait for the start to because something's gonna happen to him. <laughs> we'll just go along. And you know, it's the less I say, the worse he looks because he's doing the carrying on. So it's revolved from being a huge big wedding and all of that to no more. A simple wedding ceremony there and the night before I'm hosting the dinner, he and his wife are coming just with the little stuff for a couple of days, that's all. Someday there may be a big party in Argentina where the boys family lives and they're the most wonderful, sweet, kind people. But It's like, it reminds me why we got divorced. And then my nicest marriage marriage is a fabulous thing. It's fabulous, and I liked it. But not with him anymore. It was 18 years. So I would say 16 out of 18. We had fun. We had a good time and all that. And then suddenly you get such differences, they get beyond compromise. Program, no prayer, it doesn't matter. There is no power on this earth, or God, that can... Compromise it. And when you get to that point, spare everybody, you know. Um, and we did. So now we're civil, and we talk, and we usually get along fine, but there's no stress involved. Uh, and so now we've calmed, calmed down, we've been, we doing what we're doing, everyone does their thing, it's fine, and uh, and it's like, you know, sometimes you're waiting for a blow-up, and you're not going to relax till it happens, because you know it has to happen. And so you think, oh, this is great, it's going along fine, don't. Of, it, yeah, and sure enough, it's in. It. I won't bore us anymore with the story of why. It's just so silly and funny. And, but it wouldn't be funny if it wasn't for this program. It just keeps you not only in touch with reality, but in looking kind of at the big picture as opposed to getting insane about it. This must be this way, and this must happen that way, and we have to. And one friend of mine said, well, I'm coming over, and we're going to make sure there's a production on the set I go, oh, time out. Oh. No or not. Because... Other people don't care about making a giant production out of things. The kids want to go camping the next day. They can go camping, you know? We'll do what we need to do and all of that to make everybody happy and celebrate. It's about celebrating the occasion, you know? It isn't so much what my friend's going to say or what my neighbor's going to say. Oh, my God, you have to do this. Thank God I don't have to, you know? And it's a huge relief. And it's just your whole values kind of change. And things that seem so important, you say, are well, they really that important, you know? <laughs> I, oh, they're having so much fun with <laughs> um, Anyway, so now it's 14 and a half been abstaining. I get to a place that's I nice, oh, the good thing is these last few days, I can feel my ribs more. Mm-hmm. So, see, this is really a good thing, you know. For three months, I can kind of eat this way. Not, no dairy, but adjust my ass and cut down. Less carbs. Cars, the thing I eat, they're on my abstinence, but I don't eat bread. The kind of bread, I don't know if you want to know what Edward is call but you take that with a piece of whipped butter and you could die. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's gone, it's out. And there are some things that, it's, and you know what, I survived 14 years. I mean, that's the message, is that you can survive as long as you have enough to keep yourself alive and functioning and all of that. Um, but I find, you know, when you walk by places and and you smell the food and and you realize they're working you. I mean, it's marketing. There's a bed blowing that out. It's not an accident. And you can smell it and you can look in the window and I just started to was looking in like beautiful boutique windows. You look at the window and you want that whole picture. You want everything. But I don't want a bite of this or a piece of this or a taste of that or a smidgen of that and I have friends who will just say Ah, that was fabulous. Move on. Just, that's all. You know? My children, God bless them, can I have a couple of bites of cake? It's, and it sits there. And,
1: uh, are you finished
0: with it? Yeah, that's enough. Thank you, God. You know? I mean, they, then, they, they didn't inherit this, you know? Um, but if they did, I, my daughter came to a meeting with me in Italy. and sort of translated and that it was a lot of fun. But it was educational for her to kind of understand what, you know, what, what mom deals with and all that. Um, it's a really good thing. So anyway, so the program has helped me for a lot, and I'm very grateful to that. So I keep coming back, and we work it, and we do whatever we can in terms of either being on committees or on boards or secretaries of meetings or whatever, because getting involved is the best interest, especially when you're new. It's the best way to get to know people as like human beings as opposed to just someone you see at a meeting. You know, I mean, it's to get involved and function because a lot of us when we come in don't have the self-esteem that we count for much. But when we make a commitment to somebody else, it's very important, and you have to honor it. Sometimes if it's just to us, it's, oh, well, I don't feel like it, it's cold out, whatever. But, oh, my God, they're expecting me at 9 o'clock. Well, I better be there. As the years go by, sometimes we start counting for more also, you know, and the self-esteem level gets higher and stuff, and, and that's enough. But it's really a great way to keep the program going for your own self, which is why I trusted it when I came in. Because if I came in somewhere and they said, we are doing this for me? You know, I'd say, why is that? It'd be very suspicious. Well, mm-hmm. it's everybody's doing it to keep their own abstinence going, because if you don't have people to share it with or someone else to talk to and all of that, you're going to blow it. So, and I've been at meetings with and the two three people are there so we sit and do a meeting and everybody talks and we read and it's fine it's just keeping it going we're in the if we have to have this to deal with for most people reading we couldn't be in a better place in time in the world I mean there was no way that there were more meetings that there were more people on crazy diets so who cares what we're eating or we're not eating I mean you go to a restaurant or something and if you just order from the menu the way it looks at you yeah okay <laughs> that's it you don't want to change this, leave this out, add that, take it away. I mean, people do that. They don't pay attention to us. You know, once upon a time, when I said would worry that, oh, it's going to seem so weird, I'm going to answer. This is so much trouble. Screw with it, insert, you know? Oh, and I sat at meetings sometimes where it had to be in a restaurant with like a Diet Coke and a water and on one of the diets where I couldn't eat anything. And, you know, there's no comment. There's nothing. You just have stuff in front of you. People don't notice. And I discovered it really doesn't matter what they notice or don't, because my program, my abstinence, is more important. And now that I totally, I wish I could share what it is that clicked finally, that I accepted within, that I am a compulsive overeater, and I can't eat these foods. I don't know what that magic moment was. I just know I was in the depths and just never felt worse about myself. And that finally I was at a place where I was willing to accept one day at a time, not being able to do these things, and not being able to eat these things, and just kind of slowing down overall, having enough planning, the whole thing of planning, like in the morning for the food, wait a minute, it's a great saying, forgetting to plan is planning to to forget, that's not it, there's something, failure to plan is planning to fail, thank you, right, because, oh, I'm so busy, I can't, well, you can't take five minutes in the morning to say, oh, I'm doing this and this and this today, and what am I, whether you call it into somebody, whether you write it down, this. Oh, so maybe I better bring my lunch, so I'll know this, so I won't get myself screwed up. Because, because for a long time when I started saying, I have ten hours. Sometimes it means we lunch, I go somewhere right from work, and then it would be like ten o'clock. It's not the healthy thing to do. And then sometimes I'd be very hungry. We have very long days, and I survive that, you know. Um, so it wasn't an excuse of like if there's nothing there that I can't eat. They just don't eat. It doesn't happen that often. Now, generally, I'll carry power bars or something in the car, or something, even a Diet Coke can make me feel full, can create the illusion for a while, so I'll be okay, you know? Um, (coughs) At any rate... That's all I, the most that I can possibly think of to share. It's just, it's been a godsend, and I hope that helps somebody with whatever it is that they're going through, you know. If not, we have that wonderful list, and don't ever hesitate, there's a 24-hour hotline. Someone says you can call them all hours, believe them, you know, that you can call them. it's 3 in the morning, oh my God, I'm heading to the refrigerator, pick up the phone. It's okay, because if they say any hours, it's true, you know. Um, so there's always somebody you can call and you don't have to know them. The program is great, high on an OH and okay. You know? Oh, um, and they talk to you. I mean you don't want to call regularly at three in the morning, but you know, it's an emergency is an emergency. And it's really important. It's every bit as important as an alcoholic out there or a or whatever it may be, you know? Um, it's not a joke. We've gotten past thinking being fat and cute and cuddly is a joke. You know, I think we know that now. There's nothing funny about it. Um, and I saw this man on the news I guess yesterday was like the heaviest man ever in the world or something a thousand pounds I don't know and you look and say somebody is giving him that food mm. he's in a chair in a bed he cannot move who could be bringing him and I understand it must be horrible to have to be crying and yell I need it I need... but how could anyway he's now lost like a few hundred pounds and they're working on him and stuff and most of us know people who have died from this program so no, it is a killer it is and it's really serious aside from screwing up your life it can end it so I think that's enough reason to want to follow, How, really. things You know, we've tasted everything by this age. I mean, in one shape or another, or one form or another, what's really left, you know, mm-hmm. that we haven't tasted in one sense. And, and and it's enough. It's enough. Anyway, thank you very much for having me, and thank you. Mm-hmm. Questions? Hi, thank you very much. I really enjoyed your thank share. You. And uh, for a fellow one of these... You know, struggling with spirituality and Judaism, I wish you could could you go back and talk a little bit about your spirituality or Judaism and how that functions today. There's no conflict. <laughs> oh, about the spirituality and Judaism, and how it functions today. I thought it would get me where I was. Bat mitzvahed about ten years ago because I never had been. It's a lovely ritual. And we have a nice party and all, but nothing to God and I. It didn't do anything for my relationship with God, and. The program does a lot more because I never had a problem with accepting the concept of a higher power. I totally believe that because it's too frightening to think there isn't, a, you know, that we're it. I mean, so I could accept that, and then I got involved in my synagogue. I got on the board and all the synagogue performing arts. We just had, you know, one Friday night a month that we'd have meetings. And, that didn't do, and I liked it, and I was feeling a wonderful, renowned rabbi who's written a lot of books of praying as a Jew and an ethical code of Judaism. And it didn't make me feel as close to God as the program does, particularly I'm reading in the big book. I think it's just a much more spiritual sense. I, I can't define it really better, you know? Uh, nothing against you and I'm sure other people get much more from it. Maybe, and I always think it's me. That I should be feeling more. And sometimes you feel wonderful in, doing the, in the synagogue and having the ceremony and the singing and the, the ritual. I can go to a Catholic Midnight like, Mass and feel the same way. You know, it's a wonderful ritual and program and pageantry and all of that. But it doesn't feel godly at all to me. And especially now knowing a little bit of the ways that the synagogue works and the board. <laughs> 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 you know. um, so I don't know. All I do is I write. Things, and pray. And very often take a beat and just say, okay, God, like, here's the situation. I stopped saying, give me the red wagon and give me this or that. Now I just say, this is the situation. Just help me to make the right decision. Because I, I don't know, you know, what to do. Just guide me. Rather than say, give Instead of give me, I'm just saying, guide me, you know, and, and help me in the right way. And somehow it just seems to help. So, see? Hey. What's your uh, definition or the difference for you between food plan and abstinence? It's interesting because only the last few years they became two different things. It used to be abstaining and abstaining. The difference between food plan and abstinence, I would say my abstinence is the really, I abstain from certain foods. It doesn't matter what, I don't eat them. My sugars and breads. Now, there may be sugar. If there's something I can read, ingredients, fifth or under, it's okay. It's negligible enough. Um, there may be food in things that I eat, there may be sugar in there. But I don't deliberately do that. And breads, so I, I eat like carbs. I eat chips and hard kind of stuff. But I can't handle the soft breads and rolls and all, all those things. Um, so I don't eat them. My food plan is what I do eat. And that's like three meals a day. of these snacks, the snacks are be the fruit, like dried fruit, nuts sometimes, but not um, you know cakes, not recreational sweets. That's the word. I uh, popcorn. I have um, if I'm really good. Now that's where I have decisions, a lot of decisions on the food plan. Once I get down to, here's what I can't eat. That is every day. What am I going to eat this day? Some days I'm really good and I have this wonderful green foods that I think with the salads and the veggies and the spinach and broccoli and all those wonderful foods. And then other times I'm more into brown which is the carbs and the pastas and all of that. Ideally it's a mix. You know, I'm sort of trying to read more and understand more in a general sense that you do need the protein, carb, fat, um, fruits and vegetables I was offended horribly when I realized that fruits are carbs that can't be they could so the consumers explained and yes they are carbs at one point I said everything is carbs yeah. you know I mean it's not fair so we found a couple of foods that made me worried then I learned that celery if you eat celery you burn more calories <laughs> in the eating of it than it has well if you live on celery you'll be gone <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was about and celery you know but that was very exciting <laughs> so, so I just do the best I can within my food plan and to do a lot of salads and cook vegetables and all that and, um, and that's where I'm not perfect at it and the different meats and fish and trying not to do red meat I've cut so down on red meat which I eat I like a steak a little but not often maybe a couple of times a week um, and tuna and fish and and I'm, I'm trying to really get to make believe I like this. <laughs> and I do. I mean, it's nothing against healthy food, you know. But um, there's a lot of other things that I like. And you know what? Moderation and balance and all of that. that. That's the difference. It's the food plan I do eat? And abstinence I don't eat, really. It's abstaining from and planning to eat. You um, talk about your ex. Like, how has your dating experience and everything in program. Since uh, since getting divorced? Yeah, like, I mean, Yeah, I didn't say it actually in program. Okay. Oh, okay, D- dating experience since getting divorced. Well, part of it made me want to get married and get remarried. <laughs> Forget this, go back, but I can't, can't, can't do that. Um, well, it's been interesting and in that I'm more open and honest now, and there was only one-room relationship, and it's been ten years or so. There's dating here and there, and so it's very, I haven't had any major disasters. I'm sorry, because they're much more fun than, yes, fine. it's been fun. And sometimes it's just, there's no click. I want that click, and, and a lot of us do. Until I die, I will believe there is that click, you know, but... Um, you know, I've gone out with you. it's a lovely experience, it's been nice, very pleasant, and i had a lovely relationship with someone for a few months, it was so nice and good and kind, nothing was bad, but I knew I would be going to turn into a mean bitch if I kept seeing him, because I could feel it, it wasn't right, and it wasn't, is, so perfect, you know, on paper, and so, um, so I broke that off, and so, uh, it's been okay, it hasn't had any of the storm and drama before program and before in a single... Wild days of running around having too much fun. Yeah. talk a little bit of your relationship with your parents. Um, was it difficult when you went on programs to handle them? Well, did my relationship with my parents was always kind of difficult, just in life. I mean, I, we just never kind of got along. They lived in the Bronx. I couldn't wait to escape the Bronx. Once I discovered Manhattan, New York, there's a whole world out there, you know. And my dad got that. He used to be down there a lot and stuff, too. And so um, by the time I was on the program, I was here, and they were living in New York. So nothing was difficult. You know, we were totally, we talk a couple of times a week and all of that. And if I go back to New York, after the first few visits, I realized what I had to do, deceptive though it was, is tell them I was coming in like on Sunday. And I'd come in on Wednesday and have a few days in the city with friends, peace and quiet, and then turn myself in. And, I'd go <laughs> visit. and But so I'm really a bad example of parental-child relationships. They didn't abuse me. There was nothing mean about them. They were a little suffocating. Because they didn't get along well with each other, so therefore I was kind of the the relief. <laughs> they, they could go talk to me. And as I got older and grew up, when I was pregnant with my daughter, my mother moved out here. And then my dad. He passed away at 92 a few years ago, and my mom's 99. So we have great genes. You know, it's that peasant stock, great longevity and all. But, um... And now, but thank God, my children are far better than I am. They're great with their grandmother. They, my son goes and visits her regularly. My daughter does and she's in town. Um, we went and did a whole sing-along thing at the home where she's living when they were here. Because after a while, you say, whatever they did, that was bad. They didn't do it on purpose. They didn't know any better. You know, you saw that I could have this, I could have that. The could have, would have, should have could really drive you crazy. You say, why? It's done. You're here today. Forget it you know I don't mean forget it I mean talk about it write about it get it out of your system and then let it go you know because none of this was out of meanness it was just what they thought they were worth and they were not to it to me you know and I for somewhere somewhere along the way got a whole other concept you know because I believe my mother was born in England and my dad was born in, in New York like Lower East Side and, and when you think about it when they were born there was like no electric I mean, there were hardly cars on the road. Talk about a different society. I mean, things are always changing, but it changed so much for them that um, they couldn't understand. I know my relationship with my kids is different because we're in the same world, in the same universe, and we can communicate and we can talk. And I understand that, no, you can't go there. I don't believe in forbid. Well, now they're in their 20s, but I mean, <laughs> you know, I are mean, bigger than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just they have a whole other concept of stuff, and they did their best. You know, and the food. My mother, however, will still say to me in this tone, uh, "Should have chocolate, because that's she likes me chocolate. She'll say, have a piece, oh no, you don't eat that. And it's, <laughs> it's, how many years? Or we'll have them at a party or at a dinner, and she can barely see. She can see little shadows in one eye, nothing in the other. I said, "How do you know I'm not having it? How can you see?" <laughs> and she's say, saying, "That's no, okay. You have some. We'll put it away for next time." You know, or. Years ago, when she could see better and be having lunch. And, oh, this is so good. Here, you have to have some. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> just let it go. So, you know, it's like you got to let them go. And they're fine with it. And again, if they're not, it's their problem. It's not our problem. Because we have to take care of our bodies. It's the only body we're ever going to have. I've just started getting more conscious of that. This is the temple. This is the body. This is the only place we're ever going to live, no matter where we are or what we do in our whole lifetime. Shouldn't we take care of it? Like we take care of a car, a house, or things. My God, it's our body. It's our only body, you know? So if I try and keep that in my head, it's very hard sometimes to equate this one bite with fat, you know? And, and sometimes I forget, and I remember some of our OA cliches or whatever, because they're real. It becomes a cliche because people say it over and over and over again. That's what makes it a cliche because there's some truth to it that this bite adds up to this, you know, And it does. It's a little here and a little there, and it all. So um, anyway, so I forgave my parents. Mm You know, I mean, and I probably made amends to them because I wasn't nice as a kid. We'd fight a lot. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about willingness and how you came to willingness? Desperation. No. How you come to willingness? The only way I can see to come to being willing. To do what you don't want to do or don't like doing is desperation. Is knowing you have no... Or you've been through all the other options. And you can't think of anything else to do. How can I avoid doing this or that? Whether it's willingness, let's say, on the program. Willingness to write, to follow direction, to listen to your sponsor. Or what they're telling you is stupid and it's not necessary. And why do I have to do this? And what's wrong with you? What are you thinking? What? Because maybe they're at a place where it's worked for them. What they're doing works and what I'm doing doesn't. So if I'm not desperately miserable looking for an answer, I'm not going to be willing. But finally, when I know I've exhausted every other possibility... Then I'll be willing. And unfortunately, they say God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Some things I wish, why does He know that I can handle this much? You know? <laughs> Couldn't I be weaker and not be able to handle so much? I mean, no. You know, what's the joy of being. being and, and it's like we fight sometimes out of stubbornness, out of resenting, out of what do you tell me what to do? Which doesn't work. And, and my sponsor doesn't tell. We discuss and we talk about it. I'm just suggesting you can do whatever you want, they don't take away free will. You can do whatever you want, but if you've done this business and it hasn't worked, maybe try something else, you know? Really, desperation would be the one word answer, I think.